Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, David Irving. I'm sort of filling in here for Briar, um, inadequately filling in, I might add. Um, most of you will know, I guess, I'm the, the co-founder of the Ice House, um, and I, one of my colleagues, I've kept in touch with over almost oh, more than 20 years. But I met Neil McIntyre, who's our guest here today, uh, 20 years ago. Um, he was. He tells me, I think, the second member, second company into the Ice House Incubator um, back in 2001 uh, when, when I first met him. And I've, I've, uh, I, was working, I worked with him a bit at the beginning and um, I've always held him in high regard. He used to come to my Christmas lunches every year, so he was always welcome. Good friend, good colleague, um, who's... Um, who now we've got the opportunity to uh, hear on what his life has been uh, post that. And because he, in the last few years, has been in Myanmar, um, I just thought there would be a lot of interest in how you, um, you, you, what you, how you find that country and what you've been able to do in, amongst so much turmoil. So anyway, we'll get to that. So Neil, welcome. Good to have you here, and I'm, I've got a few questions we will ask, and we'll no doubt go off the off those as well. But if we could just start, Neil, with you're a foundation member of the Ice House. What was it like being part of it in those days, day one? What were we like then? What was yeah. the chaos? So, David, uh, it's a strange thing to say. Twenty years. It is. <laughs> it is. Uh, I had been in business with the Sun Latte. Uh, company. Mm. So I developed this uh, specialised fresh milk to tap into the trend of people wanting to have cleaner foods, uh, high quality foods. We've been going for five years. I was able to uh, have New Zealand dairy foods manufacture and distribute the product for me and we moved it to the ice house. And that was an incredible experience. I wanted to focus all of our attention on the development of what are termed functional beverages to get away from only supplying the local New Zealand market. To come into an incubator was, was a relief insofar as we entrepreneurs live in fear <laughs> in our living rooms <laughs> or over the kitchen table or whatever it might be, just small offices and we've got maybe half a dozen, then we grow to a dozen people. But as the entrepreneur, you continue to face these challenges. You come to an incubator and you realize everyone else is sharing not dissimilar challenges. Mm. And it's a, a really empowering mm. and exciting experience. So, so even after five years, and Sun Latte wasn't my first venture, I'd had a few ventures before then, but uh, to come into an environment where we were changing dramatically, we were becoming much more an innovation company, to be able to uh, work with others who were going through not dissimilar challenges mm. was very satisfying. You were the founder, you were the, uh, the co-founder of the Ice House. Uh, congratulations to you because you created what became for me an incredibly important uh, uh, medium in my 10 years of operating the Sun Latte business here in New Zealand, and then 20 years altogether in the innovation end of dairy. 
So thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, that wasn't hard. You were a pleasure, um, and you were in the dairy industry, and I'd been in food, so we could connect pretty well. So Neil, looking back, then what have you sort of not forgotten uh, since those days that you might have gathered or learned while you were in the ice house? So what's interesting. Uh, in those days, I don't know if you still do it, the Ice House now is a much larger organisation mm. and when you first started, it was very much the incubator. Yeah. Uh, what was very important then was seeing uh, the provision, experiencing the provision of workshops that would fill in the gaps for most of us in terms of, for example, with the finance market, what was happening with the finance yeah. market, what were the particular trends they were looking for and what did we have to answer if we were looking for more capital. Uh, as uh, an innovator I was looking for more capital all the time for different projects. So without having really current knowledge of exactly what's firing up mm. certain investor groups or private equity or the banks, uh, you're at a loss. So that was an important component for me in incubation was the provision of those um, Workshops, yeah, like. yeah, uh, really important. Yeah, very, very important. And Neil, you went on to sell Sun Latte, and, yep. and sort of the Ice House may not have, or may or may not have played some role in that. But how would, did did that sell successfully? Were you pleased? To, and what did you move on to? Yeah, so uh, Fonterra purchased the Sun Latte brand. In fact, we had two brands in the the national market, Sun Latte and Sun Organics, and they bought both of those. Yeah. Um, it was good for me insofar as the, the payment allowed me to uh, uh, buy up some shareholders, yeah. some investors, and to put real capital into the innovation process. Yeah. What it allowed me was, most important, was to get offshore, so yeah. specifically to Japan. Yeah. So we had uh, 26 different products we'd taken through trials, we yeah. sort of into 12. And of those 12, there were two products that we identified for North Asia, so specifically Japan and Korea. You have experience in terms of the Heinz Wadi days of that whole relationship to Japan. Yeah. So, very complex market. Yeah, uh, very exacting. Very exacting, unbelievably exacting. Mm. And just their demand for whatever you do to be done to their system, not, not your system. You know. Yeah. And I would say, look, this is, we've met the standards in New Zealand. And they would say, that's very, very good. Now you will need to do clinical trials here yeah. in Japan. Yeah. Of course, that's very expensive. Um, so what the sale process uh, of Sun Latte did was provide me the capital to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so for uh, 10 years, I was involved in developments in Japan and then China. Yeah. We got caught with the global credit crisis, so yeah. we, were, we weren't able to raise enough capital to really do what we wanted yeah. to do in those yeah. markets. Yeah. That's when we come back, uh, I went back into business consulting here in New Zealand for yes. a number of years. Yes. And then um, I wanted to get back into a real passion I have. And the passion is in uh, understanding how we can bring expertise uh, into developing emerging markets. As a young man, as a 20-year-old, I travelled to a country called Burma in right. 1979. And the seven days that I was allowed to be there remained a highlight of a year travelling through Southeast Asia and North India. 
My sister had gone there in 2008 after cycling Nargis as a relief worker, so I visited her for uh, two or three times. And that fired up this interest that I had, which was another set of products we had developed in uh, the functional beverage space, dairy space, and that were uh, a set of products for early intervention for child nutrition, specifically addressing child malnutrition. Mm. So the Myanmar market uh, provided a huge opportunity for that. Over 50% of children are malnourished. Mm. So late 2013, I went there and I took four or five months to uh, research the market. So try to understand consumer trends, try to understand the complexity and challenges of trying to produce a product cost-effectively that you could penetrate the mass market. Uh, the sort of technologies we could use and as to whether there were any local companies that I could invest mm -hmm. in. The answer to the latter was there were none, that there are some small companies but they're uh, quite dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So I then realised I had to do it either in my own right or with, with others. I got into a relationship with a large uh, Myanmar conglomerate. We uh, tried to make the, the verbal agreement of partnership work. It took uh, six months for the chairman and I to agree to disagree. Uh, six decades of military rule in Myanmar have created a unique set of conditions where business behaviours are um, quite distorted. <laughs> So what, what we would find quite offensive or, or incomprehensible, Myanmar, specifically Burmese, wouldn't even raise an eyelid. Um, when I went there in 2013, Myanmar was the 176th most corrupt country in the world. <laughs> and here I'm coming from New Zealand where we vie with Finland to be the most least corrupt yeah, country in the world. So I found it difficult to work with this large conglomerate that have made money through, uh, through acquiring assets very cheaply. <laughs> <laughs> so I then turned to my other passion, which is teaching. And I was teaching in an MBA program in Yangon, Rangoon, when I met my, uh, the, the man I would uh, form at the university with, my co-founder. So Richard Deere is a so you you were founding at the stage that you were going to form a university. So you are here. You are. You used to be at Sun Latte and, yep. and you're in functional beverages. Um, then you, you have a go at business in Myanmar, and you see you're not going to be able to pull that off. And now now you've decided to to suddenly to start a university. <laughs> uh, this is this is fairly entrepreneurial, or is it? Um, or foolish. But, well, foolish, yeah. But it's certainly challenging. Um, yeah, so tell us about your journey in, as a uh, academic, Neil. So uh, I think it's probably more foolish, David. But, but teaching, what, what an incredible gift. If we can teach well, we can share ideas and knowledge. Yeah. It, it, that is one of the most significant gifts we can give to anyone, to any student. Yeah. You know this, you've taught. Yeah. Uh, it's also good for us not to, f to find ourselves restricted to one identity in life. It's okay for us to have a few lives. Agree with that. So uh, it actually took Richard and I probably six months to come to the idea of 
a university. The private education market in Myanmar at that time was pretty squalid mm -hmm. and we were working for a Singaporean business school that was all about uh, uh, delivering the least they could for the maximum amount of money they could yeah. extract from students or from the parents of students. Yeah. So Rich and I spent time, we, we travelled to uh, the capital of Mapador, which is uh, in the, right in the very centre of Myanmar. Uh, it was built by the, the mil former military dictator about 20 years ago. Mm. Um, so it's a, a Canberra, a, a Myanmar version yeah. of Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> we travelled back and forth uh, three times meeting with the Ministry of Education, trying to understand the changes that were occurring in the Education Acts and their, their relationship to private education. On the fourth trip, I raised the question of us actually establishing in the capital. Uh, and I was very quickly told that the capital was for Myanmar people, uh, not foreigners. However, uh, over a course of a uh, few more months, it turned out that we could, in fact, establish the university there. The Director General, who had uh, reminded us that the capital city was for Myanmar people alone, ended up becoming one of our students. Before COVID hit, uh, International Leadership University, that, that I co-founded with Richard, uh, became the largest external training provider to the Myanmar government. That was pretty exciting. So how many students? We have taught thousands yeah. of very senior ranked officials across mm. many uh, departments. Mm -hmm. the, the peculiarity, of course, David, you mentioned earlier the, the crisis that we've got in Myanmar. So we've got a military dictatorship emerging. So yeah. Yeah. There was a coup on the 1st of February where the military overthrew the democratically elected government. Um, the, uh, our relationship with the Myanmar government, of course, was with the former yes. <laughs> democratically elected government. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, uh, all of that work, uh, it hasn't gone to waste um, and it will have value into the future. But for the moment, the country is in the grip of a very ruthless regime. Uh, but it's a regime that they understand well. They, they lived under military rule for, for six decades. Yeah. David, you know that business is, when you're leading business, it's you're sitting in the front of the roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just being thrown around. Yeah, yeah. To do business in Myanmar is riding on a double roller coaster because of yeah. the peculiarity with which they approach business the peculiarity of an economy that doesn't make sense because mm -hmm. so much of it is fueled from the drug trade, the yeah. sale of... Which they've got an interest in. They're the biggest manufacturer of methamphetamine in the world. Yeah. And the, the uh, small ethnic, a couple of small ethnic groups are involved in that, uh, as is the military. Yeah. So the, the economy is very distorted by... Mm -hmm by business that we have little appreciation to understand. Yeah. So the, the double roller coaster, you're hanging onto this thing, yeah. you're really getting rocked around. Yeah. COVID came and within a few days, we were closed down on the 18th of March. By the 21st of March, we were fully online. We put all of our programs online. Um, 
we were one of three universities to do so. Every government university simply closed down, so the doors were locked. And those doors have never reopened. So you got an increase in students coming from those that we closed down? Yep, we got an increase of about 25%, which yeah. was fantastic. We yeah. were very happy. Uh, we could continue to see it growing. We also had a big boost in English language training. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't set up to be a language school. However, it's the first step for younger people to uh, start to explore the world, having to, to uh, improve their, their language skill. Yeah. So we had a big boost in English language students. That happened yeah. all the way through 2020. First of February, no internet, <laughs> no phone no. connection, no. nothing. Yeah. So when uh, finally they allowed fixed line internet, which about 8% of the population can access, our English language program had gone from 360 students at the end of January mm. to five. <laughs> um, mobile internet, which is what most people access, has come back, but it is intermittent. So the English language program now is probably about 80 or 90 students. Yeah. Our MBA program is about 25 students. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're small numbers by comparison to what it was. There's of course no government training and we have hundreds of students uh, every, every week going through the government training programs. However, uh, Myanmar is a country where it's a Buddhist country. Um, you really need to pace yourself in terms of how quickly yeah. you might react. Yeah. Uh, so Deep breathe, uh, breathing deeply and counting slowly in Burmese <laughs> is a good way to slow your reaction because they're very peculiar things that happen. So this thing of uh, never say never is very relevant in Myanmar. Well, yeah, it takes a special sort of person, special sort of New Zealander to be able to um, live uh, in such turmoil and uncertainty. Um, but you know, as, as I think you would probably go on to say, uh, when it comes to safety, um, and, and that, that is a quite a different um, existence to have to cope with. Um, so you've decided really, it's, so I have to look after my safety, and you're for your family's sake, and all those that you're dear to, um, and you've come here, and I think um, you, you one of the next things you're going to do this afternoon is run a, an online program with your students there. So you're, you've retained your online service from New Zealand, isn't that right, Neil? Correct, correct. Yeah. So the university is fully functioning, yeah. and what is incredible is today we are the only university in the entire country of Myanmar that's operating. So we operate, uh, it would be 14 different programs, and they're all online. Yeah. We've uh, witnessed a fall off in students because of their inability to, to join, given limitations of the internet. Yeah. But, uh, but we're still there and we're providing the access to knowledge, to ideas, to the international world of thought and so forth yeah. for hundreds of students. So that'll keep going. But the point you made is so relevant and that is it is a highly stressed situation. It's unusual being here because 
I drive around listening to the national radio and I am getting my head around some of the issues that are relevant. And they are relevant, they're important to, uh, to the people of New Zealand. And New Zealand is a, a wonderful, really wonderful country. But it's a bubble. And it's quite a small bubble in terms of, the, uh, in particular, Asia. That Asia is just such a dynamic mm. space. Mm. And the opportunities for New Zealand are profound mm. in Asia. But to understand them, to access them, we have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, I've had to step away right. uh, from Myanmar, and that moment may in fact be years, because this regime could settle in, as the last two dictators have. So the last dictatorship was 23 years, and the dictatorship before then was 26 years. So this current gentleman uh, appears to be digging in. So it may be, David, that the investment I have in the university, mm. that we continue online as we can. We bring in uh, professors from around the world. Yeah, yeah. So we're all teaching online, and in fact, online has been a great boost for us. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, people can do it from the safety of their homes, I suppose, and that's the relative key. safety of their homes. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, you, you've certainly had to reinvent yourself. You've had to reinvent your business. Um, you're living an adventurous life. You're a bit younger than me, but you're not a shitload younger. <laughs> uh, so, um, full congratulations to you, Neil. But just before we close, I think um, it would be relevant. You've been away from the country a long time. What's it look like? Um, what's it look like for Myanmar? But importantly, now you're on back on the ground here. How does it feel compared to what you remember it to be, David? Evolution is important, it's part of being human. So I see systems have evolved here and I'm struck by two things which aren't particularly attractive, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. One is what appears to be further inst institutionalization of society. Oh, right. uh, and I get this feeling of, of the strengthening nanny state, oh. which in my view, is yeah. exactly the opposite to what we need. Yeah. We desperately need New Zealanders to be risk takers. Yeah. We have an exceptional environment here. So if you if you fall over, as effectively I have yeah. with the current government, you can come back for a yeah. bit of respite before yeah. you go back back out. But when you look at Asia. 50% of the population, it is where the growth is, and we can be part of that. Yeah. To be part of it, we have to be risk takers. Yeah. And at the moment, what I see, and it's, it's early days, you've, yeah. I've been here for five weeks, I think, yeah. but it, it feels as if just increasingly it's locking down. It's, it's saying you've got to behave, you've got to follow, you've got to yeah. uh, behave in a particular way. Yeah. And that's not healthy for a small population that needs to be able to go and, and very quickly assimilate mm. with very different cultures mm. and really get to know those cultures mm. well. Mm. In this, what are we, the 80s and 90s, New Zealand companies lost billions of dollars in China mm. in the 80s and 90s. Mm. The 2000s and then, then after 2010, New Zealand companies have made billions. Mm. Why? New Zealanders learnt Mandarin or Cantonese, mm. they started living in China mm. and 
they started to assimilate themselves mm. and understand that the Chinese are not a foreign force. Mm. The Chinese are a significant consumer opportunity for us. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's what we really need, mm. is for people to, to have that type of desire and energy to go and live in these foreign markets. Yeah. yeah, well look Neil, I think um, you, you, you're finishing this, um, this podcast on a, on a note that reminds us of um, uh, your experience and your observations um, are, are actually very relevant back here because you have been a risk taker, mm. you have been a man who's always sought to do the right thing, You've, your, your areas of interest have always been in good works. Um, you've been a stunning example of what a good Kiwi is and um, if the current sort of nanny state needs some um, sort of energy and some risk taking in it and some execution then we might you're a good man to have access <laughs> um, I, so I do thank you very much for making us as an old boy of the place uh, of 20 years it's great to have you back Thank you very much, David, and thank you for this opportunity to uh, share these, these thoughts.